Good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Good, good. I just see a lot of faces. Good, we're good. <laughs> oh, guys, my name is Hayden Woods. I'm an intern here at New Life Manitou, and it is so awesome to see you all here. Um, so today we are going to be reading scripture out of 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 9, and 19 through 22. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So for all the elders of the Israel all the elders of Israel <laughs> gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. Can everybody say with me, you are old? old. Like, could you imagine saying that to your parents? Like, you're old. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to get that out. Because I was thinking that, like, if I said that, I would probably be dead. So, um, <laughs> God is so good. So, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But what they said was, give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing it unto you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim all his rights. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we pray that the quality of our life will be lived for you, that we will, Lord, take warnings when we need to take them from you. We will be encouraged when we need to be encouraged by you, and we will see things, Father, as you see them. Lord, we pray these things in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, this sermon uh, reminds me of something. We're going to be talking about Saul today. And a couple nights ago, uh, a couple Mondays ago, I wrote down the time, 7.41. We have a three-year-old named Max, and Max did something a little weird. He's kind of a weird little boy. But he, uh, and we go to bed pretty early in our house, 7 o'clock. There's a whole routine. We read the Bible. We get milks. We brush our teeth. And usually by 7.30, it's like lights out. You better be in bed and quiet. And Max, our three-year-old, came in into our room. I was in there. And instead of just usually just scream out, like, get back in that bed, and I hear like feet running, and they get back in bed. But Max came in and looked at me and it's like, he's got something important to say. So I said, what is it, Max? And he said, he looked at me and said, dad, I know who the bad guy is. Okay. It's King Saul. And he turned around and he went back to bed and fell asleep. And I thought, what a weird little pastor's kid. Like this little, and is he right? Is Saul the bad guy? 
Yeah, and in the world of kids, in the world of comics, when there's only good guys and bad guys, Saul is the bad guy, and he wanted me to know this a couple nights ago. And it was kind of unusual because we weren't talking about Saul. He knows some Bible stories. It wasn't that weird, but like we weren't talking about Saul that day. And I just thought, yeah, in the world of little kids, there is just good guys and there's bad guys, and certainly Saul is among them. I wrote down some of the bad things Saul does that we will get to next week as spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, This week is his rise to kingdom. Next week, we'll we'll talk about Saul's uh, fall. But Saul is jealous. He's full of rage. He hunts David. He visits a witch for divination. He does not keep his own word. He does not obey God. He is not that good of a guy. But... Today, we're going to talk about all the good things Saul does. He's known as someone who the Spirit of the Lord comes upon. He is known as a prophet. He is known as a great leader, someone who is following after God, someone who is humble. He rises to power on this wave of he's doing really good. And we think about Saul and his like, oh, it's kind of oversimplified to just say, oh, he's totally a good guy. It would be, uh, sorry, totally bad guy. It would be like saying that David, I mean, any any kid would know. What, What would a kid say? Is David a good guy or is King David a bad guy? He's a good guy, of course. But if we were to line up some of the bad things that David did and weighed them against the bad things Saul did, it's like, you guys are both pretty bad guys. Like, you've messed up pretty royally. And the difference, once again, a spoiler alert for later in this sermon and a big spoiler alert for next week, is that when we mess up, which is all of us, we mess up, I think the big difference between David and Saul is that David is quick to say he is sorry and Saul is very quick to make excuses. So this morning I have three points for you, one, two, and three. The first one is... um, A warning for all of us. There's a warning here as we look at this scripture and we look at Saul's life and Samuel anointing him king. Then we're going to look at something very encouraging for all of us. And then we're going to look at kind of a big picture of how God sees us. So points one, two, and three, a warning, an encouragement, and and viewing things how God sees us. Cool beans? Cool beans. So first we have to get into this story where the people want a king and they want a king for all the wrong reasons. They want a king because they want to be like every else. I'm going to do a quick uh, sermon illustration for you. It's uh, just, uh, I'm going to go through the history of Genesis all the way up until where we are for Samuel in like three minutes. Are you ready for this? So uh, I I need two chairs. One, this is... uh, the chair, this is going to represent the Lord, and this chair will represent humanity, and uh, I'll put my jacket on this chair. So this represents humanity, and in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. He made human beings, and there they were, face to face, facing each other. We look in the text of Genesis, and uh, God is with them, walking in the cool of the day, and he just says one thing, just don't uh, eat of this tree. Do not disobey me in this, and what does humanity do? It's like they go running for this tree and they turn their backs upon God. And here is now the state of things. God uh, looking at humanity and humanity looking away from God, turning their backs upon humanity. And what does God do? Well, we, we see right away God comes running after humanity, literally, in the garden. He runs after them and, and says, oh, what are you doing? 
You know, who told you that you sinned? Who told you that you're naked? What's going on? Talk to me. He faces humanity once again. He's right there. We see this again and again and again in Scripture. As we turn our backs on God, God comes running after us. And, and God, uh, in, in this, you know, skipping ahead in the stories of the Bible, we have Abraham, who is given a promise by God. So you, Abraham, and humanity, uh, here's a leader, and this leader is going to be a generation of people. And God is going to make his glory known on the earth by Abraham. Uh, you and your wife, Abraham, are going to give birth. And this is going to be the next generation of the Lord's work. And what does Abraham do? Well, he kind of takes things in his own hands. Abraham turns uh, away from God. And in this analogy, he, he is with another woman and they have a, another son. It's like he doesn't trust God. He's caught in different lies along the way, this Abraham. But Abraham is still blessed. And so what does God do? God runs after humanity in this analogy and, and God faces Abraham and sees and pulls from Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless your other son, but you are going to have a son with Sarah. And that is Isaac. And then Isaac has Jacob. Jacob turns his name into Israel. Israel has 12 sons. One of those sons is Joseph, who brings the people uh, of God to Egypt for food and, and has them there. And, and then Moses, this great leader, uh, brings the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And it's this wonderful thing. The Red Sea is crossed. Everyone should be rejoicing. But it's like as soon as things get back to real life, after they get out of slavery, what do the people do? They grumble. They complain. They're like, oh, wasn't there good food in Egypt? He said, who can't do your, You were slaves in Egypt, and now you're free. And so the people turn their backs upon God and his ways, and they grumble against God. And what does God do? Well, in this story, to be reminded of, uh, of the word Brett shared, God continuously loves us and comes after us. God puts himself in front of humanity once again, as he always does, and leads people by Moses, and then Joshua, and then this set of judges. We have uh, very famous judges like Deborah, a woman, uh, Gideon, and Samson, and these people are not kings. They are leaders who lead the people of Israel um, to God in times of testing. And the very last, we can consider the very last judge of Israel. Do you know who it is? It's Samuel, and that's where the story leaves us, where people come up to Samuel and say, Samuel, we don't want God as our king anymore. We want our own king, a human king, not you, God, king. And so here is where we are at in the story. First Samuel chapter 8, the people do not want God anymore, and so here we are. Good analogy? What did that take? Two minutes? Three minutes? Thank you. All right, well, put these chairs back. Uh, put my jacket back on. I feel naked without it. I don't think I've ever preached without it. Um, but uh, here we are. First uh, Samuel chapter 8. The point, if you're going to write down points, is the reason why the people want a king. Point one is this. Don't be like everyone else. Trust in God. Don't be like everyone else. Trust in God. The people want a king because everyone else has one. I'm sure you've heard the saying, maybe by a parent, maybe by a teacher, if so-and-so was to jump off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? And the only good response to that is, 
No, I don't need to be like everyone else. You could ask about, well, how high is the bridge? Is, is it fun to swim down there? Is, are people fishing off the bridge? You could ask all these silly questions. But really, the, the answer you need to give in your heart is, no, I don't need to be like everyone else. But culture, society, the world we live in, it is like a torrent river running down a steep valley. And if you mess around with if you go swimming, if you go wading out into this river, you will certainly be swept along with self-consuming thoughts of pride and pleasure now and self-love and the game of keeping up with the Joneses and jealousy and social obligation. And it is that way for Israel. They, like every other nation, want a king and they want it because everyone else has it. I think about this scene in the movie, I have kids, so I, I watch uh, kids' movies. Wally, it came out a couple of years ago, uh, t- more than 10 actually, so spoiler alert. Uh, humanity is living up in this space station, and it's this horrible scene. It's like funny, but it's like, oh gosh, this really is humanity. You know what I'm talking about if you've seen the movie. It's everyone's riding around in these like uh, hover wheelchairs because everyone is quite large because they're always eating and drinking and going from one thing to the next and having all this fun and then an announcement on the loudspeaker comes on and says try blue it's the new red and then people are like oh they push a button and their clothes automatically turn blue and it's like wow he's got the new blue i need the new blue and it's like everybody is like isn't that so sad like isn't that us we all see something that someone and it's just like we all have to have it we all have to do it Here is Israel wanting a king. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he translated the the, um, message paraphrase of the Bible. He's written pastoral books. He wrote a commentary on 1 Samuel, which I have been studying. So if you want to know what I'm going to say next week, uh, go get that commentary, read it, and you'll be... Uh, you you, you could just come and preach the sermon. Uh, But Eugene Peterson, a man I respect, said it this way, and I'll read it a couple times. It's a hard sentence to get. He says, the sanctuary where God was worshiped, comma, not a palace where a king was enthroned, was the visible symbol of government in Israel. This is how it was supposed to be. The sanctuary where God was worshiped and not a palace where a king was enthroned was the visible symbol of the government in Israel. And this is very different than every other ancient government in the ancient world at the time. The people had problems. Israel had problems. They had, uh, they had big bad guys around them and they had uh, the wars and they thought, oh, we don't need God to answer those problems. We, what we need is a king. We don't need God as a king anymore. We want a king because everyone else has a king. And Samuel is attacked personally. Where's Hayden? He read this passage. And people come up to the elders form and they come up to him and they say, you're old and your sons stink. We want a king. Listen to, listen to the words. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Let this be a warning for us that, that it is very easy to, to especially come into a, a time of testing or problems and not trust in the Lord, but trust in how everyone else would handle the situation. We need to be warned. I need to be warned. This, we need to trust in God. Moving on, I think um, uh, I have a, the, past, the next passage to read here is, is the one where God speaks to 
Saul, because what Saul realizes, I mean, imagine being hurt by those words. Someone, a bunch of leaders come to you and say, you're old and your kids stink and we don't like you. We want something else, a whole different way. And the Lord comes and the Lord is going to speak to Samuel. And he says this, uh, the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. This is the Lord speaking to Saul, excuse me, the Lord speaking to Samuel comforting him and saying, listen to what they're saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. It's this image of of people and humanity always turning our backs upon God every chance we get. And what does God do? Well, he comes to us again and again. And God will ultimately give these people, Israel, a king, because that's really, they keep asking, they want it, they're begging, they're, they, they, they don't want God as their king. And so God, in his mercy, gives them what they want. It's God tells Samuel that it's not you, Samuel, they're rejecting, it's me. It's a pretty deep warning for all of us here. The next point is encouraging, so I'll lighten the mood here and uh, with a Seinfeld reference. Anybody Seinfeld fans? George Costanza says he invented the it's not you, it's the me routine when he's breaking up with some girl. He didn't invent that because it's right here in Scripture. The Lord <laughs> tells Samuel, it's not you, it's me, they're rejecting. Point number two, moving right on. Surprise! You're chosen by God. Like, this is good news. The, the first point was a warning, and it was, it was a solemn warning, a sobering warning. This next point is good news. Surprise! You're chosen by God. We're going to look at Saul, this, this man. He's a good guy at the beginning, a very good guy. And he's chosen by God. And let this just ring for us in our own hearts that at any time, God can choose us. God can bring us up from wherever we are. Here's the story. A Chapter 9, verse 1, it first starts talking about uh, Saul's dad. There was a Benjaminite, that's one of the tribes, a man of standing. This is his dad. A man of standing means he's prominent, he's an honor person, whose name was Kish, son of so-and-so, and so-and-so. Verse 2 says, Kish, that's Saul's dad, had a son named Saul. And he's, he's going to be a good guy for quite a while here. Had Saul, a handsome young man, as handsome a, a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. And we find him in this story, if you con- to continue reading on, that he's out just living his life. He's, he's doing the day-to-day stuff. Turns out his dad lost some donkeys. So he's out trying to find these donkeys, him and another servant. And he's like, dad's going to kill me if I don't get these donkeys back. And he's walking around trying to find some donkeys. And he ends up meeting Saul, this prophet, and it's going to change his life. I have a lot of movie uh, allusions today. I, I, I was talking to Carl, and he said, I don't know if this... Is. So if you're a Star Wars fan, you can come up to me later and complain that I didn't do this justice. But I think Saul is very similar to the original Luke Skywalker scene when Saul is in the desert. Luke is in the desert of what? Tatooine, is that correct? Uh, thank you. Um, uh, they're both looking to us. Luke's looking for two droids. Uh, Saul's looking for some donkeys. They're wandering in the desert. 
They're, they're both handsome. They both have full potential in front of them, but they're kind of nobodies from nowhere. And then both of them will meet a leader. Luke meets Obi-Wan. Uh, Saul meets Samuel. And they're, th- these two men are prophetic. They're leaders. They're these people that are going to change the destiny of Samuel and Luke Skywalker. Is that just... Brett's good. Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Brett. They're pretty good. Um, Saul and his servant have given up. Like, how can you find a donkey wandering around in the desert? It's, it's near impossible. They're about to give up. The, the servant says, well, let's go visit this prophet, this seer. Maybe he can ask God and maybe he can give us a clue as to where these donkeys are. Little does he know that Samuel is the guy who he's going to see. And Samuel has been given a prophecy of God that whoever's going to visit him tomorrow, this time when, when Saul comes to Samuel, you're going to end anoint him king because the people have asked for a king and God has said you can anoint a king and so he shows up at Saul shows up at Samuel's house Saul presents himself as a very humble young man and a leader and Saul sees sorry I keep messing up Samuel and Saul Samuel sees something in Saul and realizes this is the one did I say it wrong again stop it thought you're messing me up Sam, Samuel sees something. Stop it. Oh my gosh. Chapter nine ends with this sentence. So Samuel and Saul go out and it says this, tell the servant to go ahead of us. So there's that other guy hanging out, uh, the servant who said, let's, let's go see Samuel. Uh, guys, tell the servant to go ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a little while so that I may give you a message from God. And that's where chapter 9 ends. It's like if you're watching one of those TV shows like the original season of 24 or Lost and the suspense just builds and builds. You're like, who is it? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And then, bad robot. Right? And we, like, we got to see the next one. Turn the page. What's next? Chapter 10 starts off with this. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head. It's like this quick thing. Like, send your servant ahead. I got something to tell you. And he pours a flask of oil on Samuel's head. And he says this, has not the Lord anointed you ruler of his inheritance. You're now king. Another movie analogy or allusion, it reminds me of that scene of Nacho Libre when he baptizes the other guy real quick. It's like, praise the Lord. And apologize, if you don't get out and watch movies, you're a better person than I. Uh, Please bear with me. Um, but the scene, it's happened so quick. Like, like Saul's just like, wait, wait, what? Like I just got oil dumped on my head and now I'm the king. Like, okay, where's my donkeys? And then <laughs> Samuel gives them the words, like, don't worry, your donkey, donkeys have been found. And then uh, he goes out, he uh, finds the donkeys. He, uh, Samuel pulls all the elders together and all these people. And then in front of everyone says, I am going to cast lots 
for this king by whom I'm going to anoint. I don't really understand the Lot's thing, um, but he has all the tribes line up. Lots are cast from the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin is chosen, and then the family line is chosen, and then uh, Saul's dad is chosen, and then Saul is chosen as king over Israel in front of all of these elders who just went to Samuel and said, we want a king. Well, here he is. And then Samuel, um, they say, Saul is now king. Where is he? And I think Saul is, is... does another act of humility. Instead of being right there, ready to take and grab the throne and take power, you know where he is? Do you know the story? He's hiding, and he's hiding in the supply. He's like hiding in the luggage area of somewhere, and people have to go out looking for him. Like, Saul's our new king. Go get him. Where is he? We don't know. Find him. They find him hiding. They bring him up, and then amongst everyone, long live the king. He is uh, then confirmed publicly as the king, a wonderful story, a height of his career, and then he gets right to work. uh, There's a a city that needs help, a city that's called Jabesh, and this he uses, Saul uses to unite the the clans, to unite the people, to unite the tribes of Israel. He says, this city in Israel needs help, Jabesh, let's unite and go help them. And he, he has this really gruesome image. He cuts up a cow in half and he says, if, no, if somebody doesn't come along and help and fight in this battle, I'm going to treat you like this cow that just got cut in half. Pretty gruesome. No one wants to do that. So people follow him. But then there's this like snippet of suspense in there that says that there were some people who despised his reign and said, should really Saul rule over us? So hold on to that little piece of suspense. And then we get to 1 Samuel eleven twelve 12 that says this. The people then said to Samuel, who was it that it asked, shall Saul reign over us? So here's these people. It's like this little suspense. Turn these men over to us that we may put them to death. So, so getting into the story, don't let me lose you here. The, they, they have a good battle. They, they, uh, it's the Ammonites. They destroy the Ammonites so that the Ammonites do not destroy the city in Jerusalem, our city of Israel, excuse me. And then, and then Saul finds out that there were some people against him. Now, what are we going to do to them? Well, here's Saul once again acting hu- with humility and acting like the good guy. He says, no one is going to be put to death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. So, so far, Saul is a good guy. I mean, nothing here in chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, I think through 12, nothing wrong is done by Saul. He does good. And this, this is kind of going back to the, the warning of the first point. The encouragement of the second point is that this could be any of us at any time. We're, we're going along through life and, and thinking, oh, someone else always gets picked. The Lord always has something else for someone else. And, and God, you know, works through other people, but he's never chosen me. Well, hang tight. Hold on. Like the, the Lord chooses people seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly people that, that don't deserve it to do his work. And so maybe right around the corner, be encouraged uh, is the conclusion of this point. Be encouraged, the Lord does choose people and he chooses them according to his will. Now, point number three is this. Point number three is to see things how God sees them. I wrote it down like this, and this is not meant to be a warning like point one. This is meant to be a sobering kind of a picture of how God sees this bigger picture of life and this story. It says, prosperity and comfort are breeding grounds for discontentment. 
Prosperity and comfort are breeding grounds for discontentment. And once again, this is, this is not meant to be uh, another warning. I'm not saying, oh, things are going good in your life. Better watch out. Uh, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying, well, well, things actually might get even better for you. Things are going good. Well, maybe there's more blessing and more blessing on top of that. And God has wonderful things for you. But to open up and zoom out and say, well, to be sober about this, prosperity and comfort are breeding grounds for discontentment. Eugene Peterson, I already quoted him once, here's the second quote, says this, we are more apt to leave God's ways during times of well-being than in times of need. Let that be a sobering reminder um, of what's going to happen to Saul. And, and basically what, to, to spoiler alert next, next week, is that when Saul is, is shown to be in the wrong he makes up a bunch of excuses instead of coming into the communion with the Lord, instead of asking for repentance. And that's all of us. We, we all will mess up. We have messed up. And the point is to go to God in repentance and his communion, not to turn away even further. I think about this point of um, people are more apt to leave God's ways during times of comfort and prosperity. I think of a, a man, who, he's in his 70s now, he immigrated here from Egypt when he uh, was a young man, had gotten married. He moved here uh, to, to raise his family because in Egypt, if you're a Christian and he's a Christian, there's martyrdom, there's, there's, you know, there's persecution. He could trace in his history, like back to the Middle Ages, like family after family. His great-grandpa was a Christian. His great-great-grandpa was a Christian. Some of them had been martyred. He knew the names. He could trace his history to the Middle Ages. And he said he moved here when he was a young man with his wife. They had a family. They had lots of kids. Now they have grandkids. And he, he told me the story um, that, that now, in this land of opportunity, in this land of prosperity and comfort that is the United States, a land far away from martyrdom and persecution, he said, not one of my children are following the Lord. Not one of my grandchildren are following the Lord. Think about the, the history and the legacy, generation and generation, persecution. People died for the cause of Jesus and, and the gospel in Egypt. And here they come, one generation. All it took was a little prosperity and comfort and people fall away from the Lord. How sad it is. How sad it will be for Saul in, in these, this next week as we talk about his fall. Saul ends up falling further than he ever was and he turns his back. It's not like he accidentally slipped. It's like he slips and and then instead of getting up and, and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, he says excuses and turns farther and farther from the Lord. It would have been better. This is what we'll talk about next week, but I think it would have been better if Saul was never to have gone to Samuel looking for his donkeys. Saul continuously turns so far from God that he is just, he ends up, we'll look at this next week, he, it's like he's his own mind, he goes crazy and he's full of rage and he just does nothing but evil and against the Lord. And let this not be a warning to us, but just a bigger picture of that when we mess up, like let us be quick to apologize to the Lord. Let us be quick to repent. Let us stand and say, Lord, we are so sorry. We want to come into your communion. And when we do turn, like in the chair analogy, when we do turn away from the Lord, and we all do, and the Lord comes to us, may we be there with him and recognize it and have communion with him and see him and repent and find him and follow him in his ways. Would you stand with me this morning as we, as we pray? As we are led to the table, if you're in the band or if you're uh, leading communion, you can come forward as well. Brett's going to lead us to the table, but I want you to quiet your heart this morning.
as we are standing uh, literally, may we all take a stand spiritually against the things in our life that are not of the Lord. And Lord, where we have all fallen short, where we have all um, come to you and, and turned our backs on you, Lord, we pray that, that, Lord, you would forgive us, that as you continually offer yourself, your love, your mercy to us, that we would stand and face you and look full in your face. And where we need to, Lord, say sorry. Where we need to, open our hands and receive from you communion. So, Lord, we, we worship you. We praise your holy name this morning.